Welcome, fellow brave believers. This is Kingdom Cast. I'm Sean, your host, and this is the podcast where we search for knowledge, wisdom, and understanding of His Word and this world, so we can better relate His Word to this world. I want to thank you for joining me here tonight. We'll do a live Q and A. I have the link if you want to call in live. Just be prepared to be on camera, and uh, you're welcome to ask your question live, or you can ask it in the live chat. If you're in the chat room tonight, be sure to put your question in all capitalizations so the moderators can see it, so I myself can see it quickly, and that way you have a better chance of getting your question addressed or answered. So I want to thank uh, quite a few people that are already here in the live chat tonight. Appreciate you guys showing up. Tracy Jones, Gr Cleave, April Zuart, All That I Am, Pepper Mandy, Ina Is Loved, The Patents 10, Jen T, Master Soup, Richie, Bill Craddock, Man Rising, Raina Merrokin, James Henry, The Blood Saves, Sharon Myron, Old Paths Torah Study, Mama Lou Bear. Welcome, everyone. Jason Kenny's here. Elizabeth Borenson, Carrie M. Welcome, everyone. Welcome, welcome. And Master Soup is already asking, when's the next Investigating Babylon? It's coming up soon, guys. It's uh, I'm still working on it. Remember, this one's going to be a double header, so it's going to be like four or five hours um, that night. And I've had a lot going on with you know Thanksgiving and and other things I've been working on. So. And we're about to take a small trip because of um, we had a, a death in the family. So we're going to be going um, a few states away to, to visit for the memorial service for that. So um, there's a lot going on. So hopefully, hopefully it'll be like within um, a week and a half. I would like to say 12 or 13 days, but we'll, we'll just we'll see how the schedule plays out. But um, just preparing both of those on the same night, it takes a lot of extra prep. I want to make sure I do it right because it's the big, it's part of the big finale, the last three episodes. So I just want to make sure I do it right. Because if you have a question tonight about the scriptures and you want to uh, you want to get a live response in real time, I've got the scrolling link at the bottom of the screen. So that's where you can literally call in, you can ask us a question, or if you're in the live chat, you can ask. Just be sure to put your question all capitalization like you just saw me address, and that way you know, you'll have a better chance of it getting answered. Um, Chicklet is asking, do I follow the Zadok calendar? We do. Yes, we do. And mostly because it's based off of a 364-day calendar, which is what Enoch and Jubilees both uh, explain. So that's why. All right. <laughs> Ruben's asking, is it okay to celebrate Thanksgiving? We don't see anything wrong with celebrating Thanksgiving, guys. It's just a day of thanks. Um, we don't find any nefarious origins about it. Um, that We don't find any. There's no unruly practices that that get associated with it, so to speak. Um, of course, anyone who's not trying to do the ways of Yahweh will turn any events into a case or to an will turn any celebration or any holiday or any day off work off their normal schedule. Um, they'll turn that into an event for lasciviousness, debauchery, all types of unrighteous behavior, because that's the person, right? So, you know, we don't, we basically won't have any problems with Thanksgiving. It's a day of thanks. We're supposed to give thanks. Uh, nothing wrong with it in our understanding. All right. Let's see here. All right. Welcome, everyone. And Hannibal's in the crowd. Hey, thanks, Hannibal. I appreciate you get, um, being a moderator and doing so great with dropping links, brother. Um, also, I sent you a message in Patreon, so check that out when you have a chance. Also, guys, this is, I want to share this with you guys. It, as you saw in the opening advert, we have our contextual study guide of scripture, 
Okay. So this is something we've been working on. As you saw the advert at the beginning, it's we're going to be going over 100 plus books of scripture, going through and adding color coded context. So this is what it actually looks like. So you can see there's different color codings in the text itself on the left hand side. And then on the middle, I have the context explained and it's under different categories. So this is like that background context of why these statements are being said. It's kind of the the assumptive understanding of the writer and why he's writing this particular part of the passage. So, for example, let's look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 8 through 9. Paul says, For not only did the message of our Lord ring out from you to Macedonia and Arche, but all your faith in God has gone out to every place, so that we, excuse me, so that we have no need to say anything more. For they themselves report what kind of welcome you gave us. Now you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. So here he is addressing his converts in Thessalonica, and this is where I would have it over here in the blue to line up with this text in the blue, right? So this is how it works. And he's speaking from the eternal Torah, the internal instructions of God for right behavior. And it says the creator's instructions for right living and outlined through his law informs us that idols are not gods and worship in them is wickedness, right? It may seem basic if you've been following this channel, but a lot of people are not aware of that. So they don't realize that this is what Paul's referring to about how they turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. So they obeyed the second commandment. Uh, they rejected idolatry, which is an eternal command, right? The law is not done away with. Paul's still addressing and complimenting them for applying the law to their life and rejecting idolatry. And then, of course, on the right-hand side, I have a complementary verse to that understanding. And what's unique about this and why I'm bringing this up tonight, just I wanted to kind of show people, in case you're aware, you've seen me talk about this, you've seen the commercials many, many times for why we're doing this as an ongoing project. All the descriptions uh, in the video description below is the information about the project. If you want to have early access to this through our Patreon uh, before it's actually finished and published, like the book of Thessalonians um, you're having on screen right here, right? The reason why I have complimentary passages on this on the side here, these supporting scriptures that are also color coded with the with the context explained as well as with the main passage itself. This this complimentary passage is con context or excuse me, I say conceptually linked, right? So a lot of Bible studies, a lot of Bible software that you can access for free online. I've noticed this throughout my years of study is that you'll you'll pull up a verse that you want to listen and you'll there'll be something in that verse that you don't understand why they're talking about what they're talking about in that verse. You don't get the context of it, right? So they'll be on the side, there'll be cross-reference verses just like I have here, except it's just keyword cross-referenced. It's 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 giving you verses that have the same words inside of them like the passage you're looking at, right? As opposed to conceptually cross-referenced, meaning what the author is talking about is also what another author or even the same author in a different book is talking about also. So I'm conceptually cross-referencing things and not just keyword cross-referencing so that you gain a better, quicker understanding of the text and why things are color-coded and why they're they're used as supporting scriptures in that, in that regard. And as doing that, you can learn it faster with just one verse or maybe two verses as a cross-reference as opposed to having a whole bunch of other verses that are just keyword cross-referenced, if that makes any sense. The keyword doesn't always mean it's talking about the same topic, right? They can use the same word in a different topic under a different context. I'm trying to line it all up for a quicker, faster understanding for you. That's why we did it like that. So uh, we've, we've got currently, I think we've got five total, almost, well, we got six, but it's not, it's not sent to the, to the editor yet, but um, we've, we're going through, you know, lots and lots of scriptures, but currently we've got First Thessalonians, Ezra, James, Jonah, 
and Romans already fully completed. And you can access those at the video uh, link with all the description below to give you a better, a better chance to look at those. Uh, let me see here. Chase, uh, Chase, I appreciate you, brother. You dropped a super chat. Um, he said, I've personally seen with witnesses that stars move randomly across the sky. Are there wandering stars that haven't been punished yet? For example, one star will stood across the sky randomly. It's hard to explain. Well, brother, I, I would I would suggest that you're not looking at stars specifically. You're looking at um, the princes, the power of the air and spiritual forces in high places. You're looking literally at uh, the... Um, things that are not told to us by our modern day governments because they want to hide this stuff. So you're looking at the gods of old who had always had line signs and wonders and had been able to traverse the sky as we talked about in our investigating Babylon series. They'd never lost that ability. They're still doing it. It's always been there and our governments do know about it and there will be disclosure at some point in the future, but they're going to call them aliens. They're not going to call them ancient false gods uh, from the Nephilim. They'll, they'll call them aliens. Um, so yeah, that's that's why I would say when you look up, you're not looking at um, geostationary type of satellites underneath the firmament that are in high altitude floating off of a helium balloon or any other type of mechanism. And you're definitely not looking at normal spacecraft that we understand abides by certain principles of aerodynamics and, and flight. You're looking at things that define the, the laws of physics and the, the speeds that we think are possible, but it's not impossible. Check out, um, go to uh, West Blaze Music's channel and go to Uncommon Ground episode eight, where we talk about the episode, the uh, alien deception. And I go into the <clears throat> ancient Vimanas and how the things that you're seeing up there are possible because it's always been possible since, you know, the days of the ancient Babylon. And hopefully that'll be a good help for you, brother. That's a whole separate study. It's like a whole two hour study. So I don't have time to recap it all right here in this, in the answer to you, but that's, that's your quickest way to go get a good in-depth study on in what you're looking at in the sky. Appreciate your super chat. Uh, Alex Ferrer, my understanding of speaking in tongues is that you're given a different language that's an established language. And this is why in Genesis 11, the father gave you, the father put forward languages to the people, right? As he scattered them, gave them different languages. One of the gifts of the spirit, as we see exemplified in Acts 2, that comes upon the people through the spirit of God, through the priesthood of Yeshua, is you get the ability to, to um, instantly translate, if you will. Um, that language that you can speak in someone else's established known language. This is why later in Corinthians, Paul talks about praying for an interpreter so that the people listening are edified. Um, and it's not just simply saying that you're supernaturally getting an interpretation all the time. Not that that's not possible. I just want to clarify in their day, they lived in a region where there were multiple people groups and different ethnic languages being spoke, just like there still are today in the Middle East and in Europe and in many of those countries over there where there were it's common for them to know five or six languages. So whenever they would have people at like in Acts two, as it shows you in the breakdown in those verses of all those different people groups that showed up and they were coming back for Shavuot, which is Pentecost. So when they, when they came back, there was a whole bunch of them from different regions of the world. And I'll put this on screen right real quick for you to look at. Okay. Okay. So this is why they say this in this moment, right? Astounded and amazed, they asked, are not all these men speaking Galileans? How is it then that each of, each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and other parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, 
both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. Guys, this is the surrounding area around the Middle East, around Israel, around Jerusalem at that time, all the way from the Euphrates over to the extent of Rome. Lots of different people groups, lots of different languages being spoken, and that's why they can hear them in their own language. So the idea is initially is that it's a supernatural ability for you to speak another language instantly so you can be heard and understood by the person that speaks that language. Hopefully that's a decent answer for you. Has it ever happened to me? Not that I know of. Eric Du Lion is asking, do we celebrate Christmas? Uh, no, we don't. We don't condemn others who celebrate Christmas. Uh, we actually encourage them to learn about the biblical feasts and we want them to, to have a greater understanding of what thought the father called his set apart days, his holy days and, and how they're kept eternally and um, how they're a joy and a blessing, right? But we do understand that the history of Christmas is not uh, very black and white. It's actually kind of sticky. And we know a lot of people have great hearts with limited understanding, celebrate the modern tradition of Christmas. And we don't condemn them for it. We just give them, we just try to encourage them into looking into what the Bible says is an actual, you know, uh, set apart day the Father did establish and instruct us to obey. All right. Mr. Howard Sanford's here. Welcome, sir. He's saying, how is Ken doing now that he's full-time on his webpage? Um, he is, how is he doing? Um, I think he's doing good. Yeah. I mean, I speak to him often. He seems to be doing okay, working on videos. And um, yeah, I think he's doing great. Okay. All right. Now, uh, Natalia Fours is asking what's wrong with Hanukkah. Is it truly pagan? Um, guys, not everything is pagan. You know what I'm saying? Like it, and unfortunately, there's a lot of people that run around saying anything that um, anything, any man-made tradition uh, is somehow evil. You know, it's that's just not the case. Um, we don't celebrate Hanukkah either just because it's a, 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 a tradition from ancient Judea. It's not ins instructed uh, in the Bible and it's it may be referenced. Some people think it's referenced in the book of John in the New Testament as, as something that the um, is the Judean Israelites were keeping during the days of Yeshua in the first century A.D., carried over from the second century BC from the Maccabeans that, you know, again, it's a, it's another tradition, obviously to celebrate a man-made tradition is not idolatry. Uh, if, if one of the mods want to link this video in the chat, uh, we've already done an entire video on this last year. And I think it's called, uh, can I celebrate, can I, or can I worship a false God? Um, can I accidentally worship a false God or something like that? Hang on a second. Here it is. Put it up on screen real quick. We can take a look. We did a whole video on this topic. So it's, can I worship false gods and not know it? Right. Go check this out, guys. Um, please go watch this again. We addressed this entire argument last year and a year before in different videos. But this one was dedicated directly to the people that run around and say everything's pagan and you're, you're committing idolatry to keep a man-made tradition. Okay. So we try to address it in great depth in this, in this channel or in that video. My wife joins me. We go, we approach it from multiple different angles. And I hope that's a blessing for you. So we also don't, we don't condemn people that want to celebrate Hanukkah as well. All right, guys. I had, oh, Chicklet gave me a super chat. I appreciate you. Thank you so much for that. I guess it, I see it in a weird way. It doesn't show it like it normally does. That's strange. Huh, okay. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Hopefully uh, you're blessed by what I was trying to answer. 
Um, Anthony Dickinson, hey, what's up, brother? What are satellites? Uh, we actually, we cover this in Uncommon Ground, satellites and satellites. Um, There's a variety of things that they've figured out they can put in the air at high altitude that stay for long periods of time based off of helium and other, other mechanisms. Um, but they're definitely not in a ball space model, right? They're not low, you know, orbiting the earth at half a million miles, or as they claim, some of them have been up there for 40 years, orbiting at a million miles and geostationary orbit around the a ball earth. That's not what the father described as his creation. That's not what, um, you know, it's not even possible with physics. <laughs> and, um, so yeah, the, what are satellites? I mean, it depends on the context, I guess. I'm assuming you're asking the general, general question that most people ask as far as what is a satellite if you don't believe in uh, the occultic heliocentric model and you believe in biblical cosmology. They're high altitude craft that have been designed to be able to sustain high altitude flight for long periods of time in order to gather data or to relay or transmit data. So, um, again, this is kind of what I referenced earlier, mentioning the Vimanas, uh, the, the powers that be, they've known about you know tech that we don't have and they they don't release to us they've known about this stuff for a long time all right it looks like we have a caller calling in tonight so this oh hey brother. hey sean how's it going good how you doing what's up man do you have a question yeah i got a question uh all right so it's kind of a, like a scenario I'm trying to i'm trying to uh navigate okay so let's let's do a hypothetical. So we got a salesman uh, who sells big ticket items like twenty thousand, a hundred thousand dollar sales. Uh, that'd be like one purchase. So okay. the majority of his customers would, you know, obviously need to take a loan out in order to complete the purchase. Okay. Uh, and then let's say the salesman is selling to a brother in the faith. Uh, so it'd be your average Christian. Mm -hmm. may or may not, you know, even really know what the role of Torah is or, you know, that's, so the salesman knows that this, he, he's aware the customer is a Christian <clears throat> and he's aware that he's going to take a loan out to make the purchase. The salesman's not the lender. So he's not profiting from any, you know, by interest on the loan, but he is profiting from making the sale. Obviously he's counting on the guy taking a loan out to complete the sale to get paid. Yeah. Uh, so I've been trying to figure out like, is there, is the salesman complicit in any way transgressing the Torah here? Or, you know, is that just kind of like adding a, adding a little too much to it? Well, there's a couple things to consider because I'm guessing you're wondering about the Torah that says, do not lend with interest to your brother, right? To your fellow Israelite. Um, there's two things to consider here. There is the, the dispersion which was prophesied, which is uh, stated multiple times that uh, the, the, the body of Israel will be dispersed amongst the nations until the return of Messiah. And as a result of that, we are under the rule of the nations we're dispersed in. This is why the covenant does still apply to us. Leviticus 26, First uh, Kings chapter 8, verses, I think it's like 11 through 20, um, and um, Judges chapter, or Deuteronomy chapter 4, that if we are doing righteous behavior, which is the Torah, we're doing the, the commandments of God while in captivity, while in dispersion, in under the authority of the nations we were scattered to, we will still receive favor from God amongst the people we're living around and from God. So this is why we're always encouraged to do the Torah. With that said, can we do certain aspects of the Torah in other people's control and authority? Okay. And this is, I think, the heart of your question, 
is, you know, hey, I'm working for another company. They have the product that I'm I'm explaining and selling, or maybe not you, but the scenario that you gave. Um, and so person A is working for a another company that's not established or trying to abide by Torah, much less are they ordained by God in covenant in Israel. Okay. That's that's number one. So the difference in Israel was that if you lent something to someone, you became the banker. You had the product that you lent to your neighbor. They owed you personally, not a third party institution. So there's there's uh, your first big major difference in misaligned context of scenarios, if I could put it like that. Right. So the, the circumstances definitely are not the same um, in ancient Israel. If I was, say, if I was of the tribe of like Naphtali or Issachar, and you were from the tribe of Dan and you came over and needed help. And I lent you my, I don't know, my cart so that you could go plow the field properly for harvest. And uh, I wouldn't want to charge you interest on that. But if, you know, this is not the situation because I, in that, in that case, I'm in the position of the banker who's lending you that product. So that's where the father is saying, don't charge interest in that situation. Unfortunately, in, in the dispersion where we are now, we are not in that situation. We represent third-party companies with their products, explaining them to other people who also may not be trying to abide by Torah. Um, but even if they are Christian or are trying to abide by the commandments of God, we have no control of that third party, their product, in order to not charge interest or the bank that they go through, because that product could be technically consigned from that company and owned by another third party, and all of it's funneled through the sale and transaction of a bank. So there's a lot of different pieces involved that's not applicable to what's described in the Torah for fellow interaction among Israelites. Does that help at all? Yeah. So let me uh, let me uh, go a little further then. What if that same company the salesman working is working for is now the financer? Is it your personal company? No. There you go. You're not you're not able to control that, right? Because now you're starting to tell you would be trying to force onto someone else covenant behavior that they may right. not have agreed to. Right. Yeah. So the Israelites didn't go over when they did trade with the Assyrians, the Mesopotamians, the Chaldeans, the Egyptians, name it, the, the uh, Hittites. They didn't force them to abide by their terms in every aspect of Torah. They made a general trade agreement and abided by that. So just like in uh, Genesis 27, Isaac having to make a, a, a covenant oath with Abimelech for them not fighting over the local well use, right? Local access to water. Um, Isaac is living in the land of the Canaanites, ruled by this guy named Abimelech, king of Gerar. He's not forcing Abimelech to abide under all the terms of Torah. They made a loose general oath and pact that they would not fight each other over this well water access, and they left it at that. So there is agreements that can be made with people that are not trying to abide in covenant, right? Or not trying to walk in, under the commandments. Um, and we can't impose the restrictions or the implications of the commandments on people that haven't agreed to them. So again, if it's not your own company, if you're not trying to do it, even if it is your own company, that's where you, I would say, pray on it as far as the other person you're involved in, if they're a believer, um, if you had the power to not charge them interest and it wasn't a, a true loan, it wasn't a purchase, of something and because there's different ways to have structured purchases that do charge interest. Um, but if it was a true loan um, of lending someone something that's in need, which is kind of the ultimate premise of the context of the loan anyway, then then if it's under your control, by all means, follow Torah. 
right? And bless that other person. They'll be so surprised. But from the scenario you've gave me, in which I've thought about this too in our modern life in the United States, we, we work for other companies and things. We just do not have control over that. And we can't force tour on other people. Does that make any sense? Yeah. That's more or less kind of where I was at. I just really wanted to check my thinking on it because sure. You know, you know, it's it gets sticky. Like I said, we're in, we're under a whole different nation's authority, and and that's at a, a macro level and a micro level. We're under the authority of whatever boss that we submit to and we go get hired. So yeah. All right. But one thing you said I didn't consider before was the like the con the original context of that commandment. So you're saying it was more meant to be in the situation where you're lending something to somebody in need for the most part. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there was, you know, again, like I said, if you're structuring a sale and they're trying to pay you off over time, I'd have to dig a little deeper into the tour to see if that, if, if that is qualified under lending something to your neighbor, um, yeah. because that's an actual sale, they're going to use that for profit. They're not using it to get by because they're in need. Does that make mm -hmm. sense? Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, um, yeah, but hey, this is the, the like literally the business of the Torah, you know. It gets right. fun. Yeah, yeah. So I'm trying to pick it apart. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate your answer, though. Yeah, you're welcome, Tom. All right, brother. All right, I appreciate you. Have a good night. Yeah, you too. All right, man. Okay. We also have uh, Aaron Berg is asking, "Can you elaborate on Acts 21? How did Paul help fulfill the vows of the four Nazarites?" Um, well, this is what what uh, I think James, either James or Peter told him was to pay for their uh, for their expenses. So what that means is the Nazarite vow required them to bring the animal forward for the sacrifice at the end of their vow. That animal cost money. Well, that's where the temple came in. The temple had the extra resources for you to go up and you didn't have an animal with you because you're from out of town like Paul was. So therefore, you need to buy the provisions you need for the appropriate sacrifice. So this is why there were there was an exchange of value done at the temple, and it was that's why the the temple would have the extra resources because of what people brought in with the tithe, the first fruits, and and different different reasons, feast days, um, and this is what Deuteronomy fourteen mentions as well as far as you know if you're on a, if you're journeying to Jerusalem to the temple and you come from afar off and you can't bring your animal with you, well then you can bring money with you and exchange it for the animal at the temple to fulfill your vow, or your or your sacrifice. So hopefully that's a decent answer for you, Aaron. Okay, let's keep checking this out here. Uh, Chase, hey, brother, I appreciate you. Dropped a super chat. Again, he says, brother, I've seen all the videos y'all have put out. So you're of the opinion if false gods I'm seeing instead of wandering stars, I just want your opinion of what I'm seeing happen dozens of times. Yeah, I, yes, absolutely. That's what I've been trying to say is that, you know, Ephesians 6, uh, we're, we're dealing with... Uh, principalities of the air, uh, authorities, dark forces, and high places. Like, yes, these are these are um, in addition to the minions of Satan who rule the air. In addition to that, there's also governments that have higher technology that move at rates well beyond what they show you on TV, as far as news releases or whatever. So, yes, I would say first of all, it's ancient Nephilim tech um, under the authority of Satan. Secondly, it's complicit governments with those forces who've also gleaned that technology and have been using it since the 1970s. So yes, hopefully that's clear and, and direct for you. 
Jesus is the King of Kings is saying, are Hollywood gossip channels sinful to watch? Um, you know, sin is a, is a transgressing the Torah. Um, listening to people talk about gossip may not necessarily be transgressing the Torah. Spreading what you're listening to, if it's gossip, yes. Gossip is 100% transgression of the Torah. So, just like you walk through this world, you know, at your job or at the bus stop or at the grocery store, you're going to hear people talking about all kinds of things. And I promise you, a lot of it's not going to be accurate and some of it could be gossip. If you go and then spread that quickly um, and you're, you're sharing false information that could hurt, slander or hurt or harm someone that becomes gossip, then yeah, you're transgressing the tour. But listening to it, not, not necessarily, but at the same time, I would just say, hey, man, what, let's just why don't we just listen to, you know, what's good, what's edifying, what's pleasing, you know, what's uplifting. Um, not that I'm perfect at that by any means. Not that, not that I'm saying I'm not going to start policing or suggesting people be policed on, on what music or what TV they, they listen to. I would just, you know, let the father, you let that be a conversation between you and the father, like your consciousness is going to know what's good and what's bad for you. Obviously I would, there's some blatant content out there that's uh, highly either um, destructive or pornographic or evil or whatever. Like I don't, I don't suggest that you get on and try to you know watch seances or watch pornography, but 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 if you're watching a Hollywood show talking about you know who's dating who in Hollywood and what what new movies are happening or whatever like that, doesn't not not necessarily uh, transgression of the Torah, but just you know I would always encourage people how are we using our time? You know, are we using our time wisely to build ourselves up? in the love of God to be wise in his word, or are we just wasting it with stuff that doesn't benefit anybody? You know, so it's up, it's up to your heart. Just pray on it. Um, Tor prospectors. I appreciate the super chat. Thank you. You say, what is the purpose of prayer? If sons of Israel could go to the tabernacle and give an offering to communicate appreciation or request, get forgiven for a request forgiveness. Um, what is the purpose of prayer? Well, it's it should be done um, as much as you can, right? And it do, it does it's not locational, right? There is a prayer that is accepted through uh, the priesthood. Well, um, the awesome thing is we've always had a priesthood. So I'm not sure how much you've watched our channel, Tour Prospectors. Appreciate you watching tonight. Um, before. Even sub, you know, simultaneously, even while there was a priesthood of men on the earth, there's always been a priesthood in heaven of angels. This is what they are. They're a priesthood. They receive the prayers of the saints and present them to the Father. And they've not been at a specific location since creation began. They've been in heaven above us in the firmament. So this is you know Hebrews 1.14, right? They're ministering spirits sent out to those who inherit in salvation. Um, like Yeshua mentions in, in Luke that everyone has a type of angel that's considered like a guardian that's that uh, oversees their life. Uh, like, you know, I think at Enoch chapter 81, 89 talks about that the angels write down the sins of men all the day long and presents them back to the father. Nothing that you do is, is a uh, secret. You're not, no one's getting away with anything. And um, so that is done 
as a part of the priesthood function is that they have angelic, the angels have been a priesthood forever. So whether there's a ground-based temple or not, since creation began, the father has a mechanism in place to hear the cry or the prayer of mankind on the earth and have it accurately and faithfully communicated back to him in heaven above. Yeshua also fulfills that role as well. I'm not saying he's sitting there like, like uh, the Riddler and, and, that old Jim Carrey movie or that old Batman movie where the Riddler's like having all this, this uh, <laughs> streams of light going into his head of all the TV channels. He's trying to absorb into his brain and get smarter. I'm not saying like, it's a scene like that or nothing. I'm just saying Yeshua is a high priest. That means there's priests under him. And those are the angelic classes. That's what Hebrews one tries to explain to you is the hierarchy of authority. And Yeshua is above all those. Now he's above all, all authority in heaven and earth is given to him. And that's done through a priesthood, the position he obtained upon his ascension to heaven. Under him in that authority are other levels of priesthoods from the angels. They go out to the earth, listen to the prayers of mankind, report them back. We even see this here. I'll put it on screen for us so we can read this quickly. Um, this is in Revelation as an example of this, what's going on. I'll put this on screen for us. And I'm going to take your comment down so people can see it. Okay, so... It, and this is in Revelation chapter 5, when Yeshua stepped up to the one on the throne to receive the scroll and open it. He was the only one worthy to open it. None of the angels were worthy to open it. Only Yeshua was. But there are angels in this scenario, in this scene that's happening in front of the throne of the Almighty in heaven. In verse 8 it says, And when he, that's Yeshua, had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. You're looking at priestly duties. So these characters, this is not the Father or Yeshua. These are these other characters in this scenario, in this in this uh, depiction. They are being described with a priestly duty because that's what Hebrews tries to explain to us as well, as well as you know many other many other places in Scripture that that try to help you understand that the angels are a priesthood. So no matter where you are on the earth, that's how he could hear your prayer, regardless if there's a physical temple for you to go to or not. Hope that's a help for you. Okay. All right. Back to the covenant. Hey, brother, how you doing today? Back to the covenant. It's asking, where are the verses about the seven firmaments? Well, we actually go over this in our first episode of Uncommon Ground. Let me pull this up real quick. And I can drop the link in the chat. We review the multiple, the verses that talk about multiple firmaments and as well as um, it's one of them is in, um, well, like Deuteronomy 10, 14 talks about the heavens and the, he the highest heavens. Uh, same as Psalms as well. Um, second Second Corinthians chapter 12, 1 through 3, Paul references a third layer of heaven. One second here. Uh, the Apocalypse of Abraham chapters, I think, 17 through 21 references um, all seven, levers, seven layers. Even says the stars are located on the fifth layer. And let me see if I can find this episode one real quick. Okay, and I will drop this in the chat. 
and we titled this Sky's the Limits. So in that, we review the seven different layers. I'll just see if I can find a little graphic that's been made. Um, if I still have it. Has a lot of verses in the graphic as well. And in addition to the many scriptures that talk about the different layers, five, six, two, you know, seven, eight, or not eight, but seven, uh, we also have uh, testimony from an early church father in the second century AD who was a disciple of Polycarp. And this was a guy named Irenaeus. He actually also talked about uh, the world being encompassed by seven heavens, or the, the creation, I should say, being encompassed by seven heavens. And unfortunately, I can't find this graphic. Oh, here it is, I think. Nope, that's not it. I'm sure if Westblaze was here, he would have it already. He's got all of his, his memes and graphics categorized very well. Um, but yeah, so there's a multiple verses that talk about it. And, um, and it's, uh, it's loosely referenced in the Masoretic text, which is what you'll see like in Deuteronomy or Psalms and, um, you know, the Amos and different places where it's, it's mentioning the highest heavens, the multiple heavens. So I know that Judaism will try to tell you there's three, but that's not what, um, other Hebraic sources describe. They describe seven, and that's also validated with testimony from early church disciples from first and second century. So anyway, I hope that's a decent answer for you, brother. <laughs> How was your Thanksgiving meal? It was amazing. It was great. The turkey and stuffing was amazing. Um, it was all good. It was great. Gravy was great. Thank you so much. You made a wonderful meal, sweetie. All right. Hannibal is relaying a question I must have missed from patent 10. Is, is, is Azazelum esteem of the same angel? Yes. According to Jubilees chapter 10, verses 1 through 10, um, it, it in that passage directly calls Mastima Satan. Um, and then Azazel is also referenced as the the only angel that's still le left out. The other angels that, that transgressed were put away in Tartarus. But um, Azazel is the only one that's still out and about like Peter talks about, roaring around like a lion seeking whom he may devour. Alex Ferrer is asking, should Christians tithe? But if so, who to whom would they tithe? Um, I would, since there's no standing temple, since, since you know, you're not bringing the tithe as instructed, um, according to the Levites, if you do want to follow Torah in generosity to those in need or to those who are serving the gospel, then, because that's what Paul tries to explain in Second uh, Corinthians nine about those who you know are um, not muzzling the ox with a trinity grain. He talks about how those who are serving in the ministry to spread the gospel deserve to earn their living from the gospel, according to the Torah. Because this is otherwise you are limiting the ability to shed and spread the good news or the light of the Torah to those around you. Um, but also. Again, we're not in ancient Israel. There's not a temple setting with an ordained temple or priesthood that could receive the tithe as as properly. And as far as I understood, the tithe usually just related to agricultural concepts. So therefore, it's none of the context is right. So in a modern day church, when the pastor's like, all right, now it's time for tithes and offerings, grab the envelope in the, in the pew in front of you and be sure to fill it out and, you know, and, or, or pull open your app and your phone and you can tithe directly from your app at any point in the service from your phone. They're, they're misusing that word. 
This is why whenever we talk about people that love what we're doing and support us and want to see us get, reach more people, um, we give you the options, you know, in the video descriptions for PayPal, Patreon, or a PO box. And we tell people we're not Levites. This is not a tithe. It's simply a love offering. It's simply saying, hey, we like what you do. Here's a little, you know, little, little thank you. Um, so if you find someone that is doing a good work, right, you want to support that, that's one way you can act in the spirit of what the tithe was for in the modern day while we're in dispersion, while there's no Templar priesthood on the earth. If you want to use it off of Deuteronomy 15 and do it toward and take that tithe, which is what the priests would have done, right? Because remember, you're practicing for a priesthood. You're going to become a priest at the resurrection, right? So you're practicing to do priestly behavior forever and perfectly in the New Jerusalem. So if you want to practice what the priests would do with your tithe back in the day, and they would go and find out who's in need and then disperse that from the resources of the temple, then you can go and find out who's in need in your area. And whether it's the local soup kitchen, the John 316 mission, the local um, you know, organization that helps with battered and abused and women, um, you know, whatever there is that they're doing tour, they're out there helping uh, those who are in need, the poor, the less fortunate, the widow, the orphan. And you want to, Take and support that. That's a great, you know, redirect, if you will, uh, since we can't fulfill the utter, the absolute context of the tithe in our in our modern society. But that's a great way that you can in, engage in the spirit of the tithe and make use of your charity. Okay, hopefully that's a decent answer for you. <laughs> Check this asking, what am I drinking? It's just sweet tea. All right, guys, sometimes this happens. Uh, Ina's Love is asking, is my question not showing up? Not making sense. I've asked three times. Frowny face. If you're, uh, there are certain keywords that I've put on my channel. And there's also, if if any of those keywords are coming up in your question, or if you're trying to put an actual link to an outside third-party website, YouTube will block all that. So um, just, I don't know what you're asking. I can't see it. This is the first, first uh, question that I've seen from you. So just try again and uh, be patient. Sometimes you're, you're, Depends on where you are. I don't know where you live in the world. Depends on a whole bunch of factors. Sometimes your comment will not go through the first time for a variety of reasons, but just try again. Stella J. Atkins is asking, is there an easy way to track food contents and follow dietary laws? Example, I keep finding more and more foods I didn't know even had pork in them. Um, uh, no, there's not. Sadly, there's that no one that I know of have ever is, you know, because so many times there's things in foods that we don't even know has aborted fetal cells in it or, or pork in it or anything unclean in it. Um, so this just takes your own personal diligence to research ingredients for what you're cooking with and, um, you know, if, if you want to not put unclean things in your body, then it just, unfortunately, I, I've never found it. If some, maybe someone in the audience knows of a great resource that someone's put together somewhere on a site, but I've never seen it. So I apologize, brother. Shamar, the bread's asking, I love everything you do, brother. You taught me so much. Oh, no question. I appreciate the super chat. Thank you. Appreciate the, the compliment, brother. We're trying to, we're trying to be like efficient and, and professional and, you know, and and do all this um, as 
edifying as possible to, to everyone watching, you know, I'm trying to make it a good resource for you. All right. Purple Porcupine's asking if New Jerusalem is in third heaven and stars are in fifth, how do we see stars through the landmass? Um, well, there's a, let me say it like this. The stars themselves, okay, it's it kind of goes into the optics. Same thing with the sun. Kind of like when you see the double sun, I would propose the sun is in the third layer of the firmament and its circumference in the heaven is actually going around the mass of the new Jerusalem that is, is hidden in the center in the third layer as well. So therefore you are not going to, you know, that's not going to hinder your view at all either. The stars rotate overhead. And what you're asking for those who may not understood your question is we look straight up. If we're living underneath an enclosure, an affirmament like the Bible describes, and, and it's in a domed style arched enclosure, the stars seem to be rotating in a pattern over our head, unimpeded and unhindered. Okay. The firmament itself, just like when we see what's called a double sun, if the, if the sun is between multiple layers of the firmament, you see the real sun projecting its power source or its light source onto the place in the firmament that then shines down upon us. That's why sometimes you see a double sun. You're seeing the body of the sun, but then you're seeing the light projection point of the sun as it hits the firmament and then gets displayed out to where we are, which is why sometimes it looks like a double sun. That's that's my best understanding of it um, to what I understand. Or in that double sun, uh, that double sun um, viewing, the you're just seeing a reflection of the sun's body off the back layer of the firmament that it's in. I don't know. I can't go test it. Those are my two options for why we see a double sun within what the Bible describes as the firmament model. The point being the light projected from the sun, because you're in a curved surface is not directly in line with the origination of that point of light. If that makes any sense. So yes, it'd be very possible by specific angulation of projection of that light. And first Enoch tells us that all the stars are monitored, if you will, by a series, a group of angels. So if that point of light source, that star is pointing at a place in the firmament to give it the apparent look that we see from our perspective, it doesn't have to truly be directly behind where the new Jerusalem is. Hopefully that decent answer for you. <laughs> also, where there's so many other things to take into account as far as what is the firmament made of, what's the bottom of the new Jerusalem even made of, that um, that it would be up. In, and of course, it's now retracted into the earth. Uh, it was the, the Garden of Eden. It's now retracted into the earth, being expanded and enlarged. And uh, the scriptures talk about in Isaiah and Job, how you know the firmament itself is darkened and clouded so that men can't see um, what's going on. Otherwise, they'd see straight through it and see up to heaven anyway. So this is why it talks about how Yahweh walks in the vault of the firmament, but he's clouded from mankind. He's dark, his, his, uh, his chambers, his throne are dark and mankind can't see it. So that's why when you've seen, um, biblical cosmologists take a, a modern day high altitude weather balloon and send it up like a hundred thousand feet and it gets above the blue atmosphere that we see. And it's just dark black up there. That's because you can't just see straight through the firmament. Otherwise we would see the glory of the father in all of heaven. We would, there is some, he has shielded it. And according to Job, it's shielded with clouds. He has shielded it 
from his perspective, from our perspective, so there's a barrier between us and all we look up and can see is, is darkness above, right? And then the light sources that are placed in the layers of the firmament that shine down on the earth, which is their whole purpose, they don't shine up into the other layers of heaven. They shine down into the earth. They're, they're sources of light that are pointed. Um, that's why, depending on their placement on a curved surface, their point of light that comes into the firmament isn't always exactly where the origination of that light comes from. I hope that makes sense. It's kind of an optical thing I'm trying to describe without visuals. Very difficult. But uh, you can see this with experimentation if you put a point of light on a curved surface and then look from underneath. You can see what I'm talking about. It just requires a home experiment. Um, anyway, it's a great question. Great question. Really appreciate you asking that. Uh, Shmar the Bread, I understand. Yeah, this last year and a half, especially in the United States, I mean, worldwide, people are, are bucking against Agenda 2030 and the Great Reset and all the lies that have been going with the political propaganda to force people into different behavior, different lifestyle, different economic structures. It is a part of a mass push for a new world order concept. So I understand it can have an emotional toll that it takes on you. I just, I would, I would suggest learning about the hope that the Father has promised to you study about the first resurrection. This is what's promised to you. We are but passing in this life. We're sojourners in this life. And this is not our home. This is not temporary. That The earth will be our home, but by the time it becomes our eternal home, there'll be a big shakeup and the Father will bring his house down to us, which is amazing, glorified, undefiled, perfected, made just for us. We're going to love it. It's going to be a totally different answer. But you only get into that scenario, into the kingdom at your resurrection. So I would suggest studying about your resurrection. Um, hopefully, the more you understand what's promised to you, as far as the the type of resurrection you're going to receive, like Yeshua did, the home that you're you're promised to inherit, that uh, we see um, slightly described. Uh, it's described everywhere in Scripture, but we see a you know a good chunk of description of it in Revelation 21. Um, it's a beautiful place. It's going to be beautiful, man. It's uh, this is the hope that all the patriarchs had. It's called the gospel of the kingdom, the good news of the coming kingdom of God to the earth. When the father and the son actually come to dwell amongst mankind on the earth. So this is the hope of all of mankind. Meanwhile, all of mankind has the same feelings you do. We see the wickedness around us. We want to stop it as much as possible, but there are forces still at play that, prevent us from eradicating evil fully. So we have to wait for Yeshua to return to do that. And this, that whole process is the day of the Lord leading to the resurrection and the coming of the kingdom of God. That is our hope. So be encouraged in that and study up on that, in my opinion. Uh, Enoch Pavel, Pavelsu. I hope I said that right. Pavelsu. Um, you're asking, does the tribulation consist of one three and a half year period or two three and a half year periods? 
one, 42 months from the moment uh, the seventh, the fifth seal begins. Um, or actually, it's, you know, technically, I would suggest um, it's 42 months is the quick answer, but to kind of expound a little bit, um, this, the, the seals that are opened, the first five happen in the, like in the first, at the beginning of the 42 months. They happen very quickly together in a, in a short chronology. But that initiates the revealing of the beast of Apollyon, the wicked one. Um, it reveals, you know, who's going to come out and persecute the saints for 42 months. And this is why Revelation 14 encourages us that this requires patience on the part of the saints. Some will be taken into captivity, some will be killed. But at the end of that 42 months, Yeshua returns. So it's just one three and a half year period, which is 42 months. Hopefully, hopefully that helps. All right. Hi, Wendy. A friend who's studying with a rabbi said Jesus was cursed because he died on a cross. Don't you love how they twist scriptures? Would you give me scriptures to show that Jesus isn't cursed? Well, sure. Okay. It's here in the book of Hebrews. All right, just one second. All right, so it's going to be in Hebrews chapter four. I'll put this on screen for us. All right, so talks about this is this is one witness we also have Yeshua himself and everyone who saw Yeshua in the Gospels talk about how he was the son of God um, who was uh, in sin to the point where he they they were around him when he prayed in John 17 I've come to do your will and I've done everything you've asked me to do that means he has not transgressed at any point the instructions of the father so therefore he's without sin um, verse 14 and 15 or 14 through 16 i should say of hebrews 4 therefore since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens jesus the son of god let us hold firmly to what we profess for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but we have one who was tempted in every way that we are yet was without sin let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need why am i showing you this verse the only way that you're cursed is through sin. Yeshua didn't sin. That's why he was considered perfect. And that's why he was the first to receive the promise of the covenant to get that first resurrection experience, get his glorified body. And as verse 14 tells us, he could pass through the heavens, pass through the layers of the firmament to the seventh layer where the throne of God is above to attain to his priesthood position in the temple above, as Hebrews 8, 1 through 5 explains, only because he was without sin. That's how he earned it. He's amazing. What the rabbi is doing by twisting this thought is by saying the punishment of the Torah for someone that commits a sin worthy of death on the earth. So the adjudication of the Torah amongst the elders and the priests of ancient Israel, sometimes people would commit a sin like murder or adultery or different causes that there would be a physical death that would be required to be carried out. That dead body was then placed on a tree till sundown as an example to everybody that justice was happening in Israel. That person on the tree was considered cursed. 
because they had transgressed the Torah to the point where they were dead. There they they exacted the capital punishment. Okay. So this is how the rabbi is twisting the Torah and the application of it out of context to try to apply it to Yeshua. Here's another place in how he's twisting that thought, right? Yeshua was not killed by the adjudication of the Torah. Yeshua was not handed to the Levite priests and slain because he transgressed the Torah. He was lied about. He was slandered. He was falsely accused and falsely killed, literally, you know, by the Romans, uh, by, you know, the, the, the leaders of the Jews falsely accused him, handed him over to the Romans for the death penalty. He was not properly, you know, uh, he didn't, he didn't sin, a sin worthy of the death penalty. And he definitely didn't, uh, he wasn't judged by a righteous priesthood that, uh, that called him out for his sin and was able to actually prosecute him to death. He, this, the rabbi, because they reject Yeshua, which means they also reject the father, um, doesn't want to make that connection. He struggles to make that connection emotionally because he rejects Yeshua. Therefore, his mind and heart are darkened to the truth, right? So therefore, he will naturally try to twist the Torah and say, well, they put him on a cross. He must have been cursed. No, if he was without sin, he's not cursed. That's why it says emphatically throughout the, the Gospels that he was slandered. He was falsely accused. It says in multiple places, the Jews, the priests, the elders of that day, the Sanhedrin was looking for a reason to kill him. And it got to the point where they just had to lie about him. So this is why the father knew when he sent his perfect son amongst a wicked and adulterous generation, they were going to eventually kill him. Right? So this is, hopefully that's a help to you. Okay. You got to beware the, those anti-missionary rabbis, they twist the word like crazy because they don't think you're reading the word. So we got to know our front of the book when we encounter those guys. All right, Stephanie M is asking a question. We've addressed this before, but it's been a while, so we should probably tackle it again. The book of Enoch, chapter 10, verse 4 through 7, describes Azazel as being bound hand and foot and cast into the darkness. How is he roaming as a roaring lion while bound and covered? It's a great question. Also in that chapter, it talks about the other rebellious angels under the leadership of Sunyaza who took wives. And it says those guys, it pronounces their punishment too, but then it tells you that punishment is not going to be carried out until a certain time period until after their children, the Nephilim had fought with each other through civil war and killed each other. And then later those other rebellious angels would be sent to Tartars and their punishment um, carried out. So just like in modern, think of it like um, same thing happened with Azazel, right? His punishment was pronounced. It's not going to be fully carried out until Michael does it in, at the return of the Lord um, with in revelation chapter 20 um, verse one through one through two. Okay, so there's a time period for when this is to be carried out. Yes, it doesn't explicitly say Azazel's would be carried out later, like it does Samyaza and the other guys, but they're but you're reading that information from a book that is a collection of six different fragments, highly fragmented manuscripts, and we don't have all the information in all those six different manuscripts. We have pieces. That's the sad part. So the pieces that we do have, I've tested for years and they line up to what's in scripture. It's amazing, but um, in, this is what I'm trying to say. Just like in modern day legal process, um, a 
you heard of someone that's convicted, but then you hear this, this statement, well, their sentence doesn't start until, right? So there's lots of people that can be convicted. Um, just like with you, just like with the father through his angels, um, can, you know, expressing the, the, the displeasure and the judgment over those rebellious watcher angels. And also Azazel's Azazel being accredited, you know, all sin as is ascribed to him as Hebrews or first Enoch chapter nine talks about as well. So that's the idea is that you have to read into the fine print, the details of those chapters in Enoch. And you see that Azazel does get his punishment that's pronounced to him. It just doesn't happen immediately. But when the father pronounces that it's going to happen, it's going to happen. Um, this is why in Revelation 12, um, it talks about how after the, the battle in the heavens, which I'm going to cover in the last remaining episodes of my Investigating Babylon series, and Satan's thrown down to the earth. It says he's full of wrath and fury. Woe to the earth, for he knows his time is short. Well, what happens when Yeshua shows up? Well, Michael and some other angels get a big chain, wrap Satan up in it, and throw him into the earth um, where he's covered with rocks and stones for a thousand years. So this is why even way back then his punishment was announced, but the sentence was not carried out until the appointed time, until the right timing. So thankfully we have in the book of Enoch, another example of that very same thing with the other uh, watcher angels that were, you know, contemporaries of Azazel in that event um, who sinned in a different way by taking wives and their punishment wasn't carried out until a later date also. So hopefully that's a decent answer for you. Okay. Let's see here. Guys, if y'all do want to call in, it is, that's not it. Um, the link is scrolling at the bottom of the screen. If you if you want to call in live, you're welcome to. Uh, Jason Kinney's asking, do the angels in charge of luminaries rest on the Sabbath? And if so, what does that look like? Um, I, I yeah, honestly don't know. Um, I know that there's multiple groups of angels with different hierarchies of authority over them, as Enoch describes. So it wouldn't, I wouldn't put it past them to rotate in their shifts, just like the priests in the temple rotated in their shifts as far as when they went and ministered and when the Levites helped them. And, you know, they, they rotated out their duties depending on what they were doing. So uh, if they're, if they, um, angels are just another form of priesthood helping with the duties of God's big house, his creation model, I wouldn't put it past them to, to have different shifts that they rotate out so they can, celebrate Sabbath. But at the same time, those who do have to work on the Sabbath, I mean, again, you're doing good. You're literally doing the instruction of the Lord and it, they're not working for profit. They're not earning a wage. You know what I'm saying? To do that. It's a part of their ministerial, ministerial duties, just like the priests in the temple of God on the ground were held guiltless for doing their instructed duties of Torah, according to their priesthood to minister in God's house um, to keep things flowing. Does that make sense? So I guess the the context would be it's they're not it's not like they're working for profit man it's like you know they're just doing what the father asked them to keep the the creation going and we also don't know exactly what it means when we say when it says that they're in charge over them to me what the sun and moon and stars are described at in first Enoch seems like an automated process but they're just like in charge of which way things go and turn and making sure they go through the right portals in the firmament at the right time of year 
So it's like they're overseers, but I don't think they're like daily, like a hamster in a wheel or something. You know what I'm saying? I, you know, I think a lot of that's automated through the power of God, through the electricity of his firmament, but they're just overseeing to make sure it's everything's flowing properly. Um, oh, we got a super chat. Daz with Shields, appreciate you. Uh, dropped a super chat. He says, what if you're viewing Christmas and Easter most throw a birthday party for someone they don't believe in? Even before my relationship with the Lord, I knew this. I, okay, let me see if I'm reading this right. Even before my relationship with the Lord, I knew this time of year was wrong, so pagan. Raising our kids is hard on this. I'm trying to understand the first statement. What if your view on Christmas and Easter, what if your view on Christmas and Easter most throw a birthday party for someone they don't believe in? What if your view, okay, the, the wording's a little jumbled. I don't want to, because of the, the nature of the question, I want to make sure I understand what you're asking. I don't want to assume you're asking something you're not. I want to kind of scroll down here a little bit to see if you clarified maybe in conversation. Because um, I'm, I'm not quite understanding. I mean, if you're trying to say the, the modern day celebrations of Christmas, Christmas and Easter are a birthday party for someone else, um, that's not even the modern day tradition. Like they think that they're celebrating the birth of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. They don't think that they're celebrating a pagan God and they're definitely not doing pagan idolatry activities um, for that. And this, this is where people like to disagree because that's why we did an entire video that we referenced earlier. Can I accidentally worship a pagan? You know, uh, can I actually accidentally worship an idol? Please go check out that video if that's the perspective you're coming from. But I don't know because I'm trying to understand your question. Um, yeah, and I'll, I'll say this, even as a kid growing up, I struggled with Christmas as a concept because of the commercialization of it. I was told that it was, you know, that we didn't really know the birthday of Jesus, but this is what tradition people had decided we we're going to celebrate the idea of Jesus being born on at this time because it was God's greatest gift to the world, right? All that is fine. There's nothing wrong technically with that. There's no command against it. There's nothing, you know, you're, you're trying to celebrate the Son of God with a modern tradition. Now, in the last 200 years, commercialization through corporations and government influence has come in to try to get people to, you know, make it about, you know, this mystical idea of Santa and elves and North Pole and commercialization of cartoons and things like that and selling you products and making people buy gifts for each other in great, great abundance to put them even in debt. All that is not good, right? And not even that that stuff's pagan. It's just not good. It's, it's, it goes against other biblical principles of practicality and love and, you know, the proper household management, things like that. You know what I'm saying? So there's a lot of the trappings, the modern day trappings of the tradition of Christmas that I never felt comfortable with either. But just the very simple thing of, of ancient believers saying, hey, we want to celebrate one day out of the year as the birth of Christ, but since we don't technically know it and do that, there's nothing wrong. I don't see anything wrong with that. And that's definitely not them celebrating someone else's birthday party, if I could put it like that. So yes, trying to explain this to your children is hard considering the culture we live in is satiated with the commercialization aspect of Christmas, right? The cartoons, the animation, you know, the, the claymation sometimes, um, all the commercials, the toys, things like that, right? It's very enticing to children. But just like in other topics in our life, these tough topics that are also enticing to children. We have to talk with them about that, right? Like when your child is no longer over the ages of one to 14 or whatever, but now they're, or I should say even one, one, you know, one to nine, but now they're 10 to 20, they're still your child, but now you have to talk to them about why 
you know, we should refrain from sex before marriage, even though the culture is screaming at them throughout that decade that they should have sex. So there's a lot of topics that's tough to navigate with children in this modern culture that we're, you know, we're under a nation that does not want to abide by the commandments. Um, and there's forces at work within our nation um, through corporations and through laws that try to lead us away from the commandments of God. So yeah, I agree. It's tough, but I would just definitely want to parcel out what's true and what's not so that we don't find ourselves condemning those for pagan literal idolatry when they're not committing literal idolatry. That's all I would suggest. We just want to be very clear about that, but I really appreciate you asking your question. Oh, thanks, Terry Holt. She said she was able to lovingly discuss science in the Bible today. So that's great. I appreciate it. <laughs> appreciate it. Uh, Enoch Pavel, Pavel Sue, we've done quite a few videos. I've answered this quite a few times. I think this probably comes up almost every Q&A. It's crazy how this question comes up so much. Um, but we, good news, we have a resource for you, okay? So go on my channel, type in Morning Cup of Context, New Heavens and New Earth. And I go down, I break down all kinds of scriptures through Revelation. And at the last 10, 15 minutes of that video, I have multiple different um, charts and graphs and things to show you with all types of step-by-step -step breakdown with all different scriptures and pictures and all kinds of stuff to show you why the New Jerusalem comes down at the beginning of the millennial reign, according to all of scripture. There's a point, there's a purpose for it to come down at the beginning. And there's a reason it has to, right? So I go through all that, type in, in the YouTube search bar, Morning Cup of Context, New Heavens, New Earth. And I think that will bless you. Okay, brother or sister. Lumpy gas in a vacuum. I, I want resurrection freedom too. Yeah, I want to be free of this body of death, like uh, Paul talks about in Romans 7. Uh, yesterday, Way is asking, what do you know or think about the Northern Lights? Honestly, not much. You know, I, I know what we're told, what they are, as far as a mixture of atmospheric gases and things become visible because of their positioning. Um, I definitely don't think that they're a sign of being uh, a, a ball earth and a heliocentric model because there's all types of other evidence that tells us that the Father's description of creation is actually true. The Creator accurately described what He made. He knows what He made. Um, but how are they caused and why are they caused? I apologize. I don't know. David Bloor. Yeah, that's a great question. You're asking, have I, you've heard me talk about the garden ascending above the ferment at the flood. I've, you've never heard this theory before. You found myself in Ken Heidebrecht. And uh, yes, I have done a video on this where I expound in great detail. And it's part of, it's on, it's on this channel that you're watching. It's called the kingdom of the garden. All right, so going to the videos, the previous videos, I think it's like episode number 27, maybe, or something like that. Let me see if I can find it real quick. It's called The Kingdom of the Garden. So as you see in the thumbnails, I've got the, the episode counter, you know, like this is episode 93, I believe. But The Kingdom of the Garden was episode, let me find it real quick. Yeah, episode number 36. And I'll, I'll share, I'll put this on screen and share this real quick. 
in the live chat for you. I do a full like hour and 37 minute breakdown for you. Okay. So that you can uh, check that out. And it's here. It's the kingdom of the garden. Okay. Number 36. So go check that out when you have a chance and I do a full breakdown for you. Okay, Richie, you're, you're saying that you were taught your past, present, and future sins are forgiven. What's my thought on that? Um, yes, but it depends on how you're, you know, how the, the minutia of how you want to get into this conversation, right? So we're talking about the one who forgives your sins. Ultimately, that's going to be Yeshua of Nazareth, the Son of God, right? The Messiah, because he was given a position of priesthood in order to atone for your sins and then also to remove your sins forever at the resurrection when he gives you that new body that's glorified, right? In the meantime, we still sin. So in the meantime, this is why 1 John 1, 9 tells us that we must confess our sins so that he's faithful and just to cleanse his fallen righteousness because he's in his priestly position mediating on our behalf daily for us now. This is what he does, right? 1 Timothy 2, 5, Hebrews 8, 1 through 5. Um, this is a part of his job. This is why he came to be our Messiah and our high priest as prophesied by the prophets. So you're fast when you come to faith and belief and you're like, you know, I believe in you, Jesus, as you come in my heart and you actually, you know, rejuvenate me and, and bring me to salvation and you put your faith and trust in him and you start changing your life and repentance. Yes, he's in his priesthood. He's going to take care of all your past sins, your ongoing sins and even your sins of ignorance. He takes care of those too. This is why we're continually supposed to confess our sins, pray, you know, admit that, you know, we may have done wrong, which also means we have to learn his word because then suddenly you start to realize that there are some things you're doing in the past that you didn't know was sin, right? But that you are doing, but even if, and so a lot of people like to take this to the extreme and they'll say, well, what if I die? And I haven't confessed all my sins that day, Sean. That's why we have Leviticus four. That's why the law has already covered that. It's your unintentional sins. So your high priest is working on your behalf. And if you are in faith and belief and you're in a position, and what if it's an intentional sin, right? I would obviously, just like David prays in Psalm 51, Father, please keep me from willful sins. But you're in a position here where you're putting your faith, he knows you're going to mess up. This is why the Father gave you a high priest as the Messiah, because he knows that you're going to go through your life and probably every day you're going to mess up in some regard. Some people get really good at it and they, they stop messing up as much, right? And they're they're working on their righteous behavior and they become extremely steadfast and faithful. Uh, we see those people being commended in scripture, both Old and New Testament. Obviously, Yeshua was without sin. He's amazing, right? But not everybody's like that. Some people still struggle with it. Your past sins, definitely forgiven. Your present sins, I would say, you know, pray daily. Thank you, Father, for forgiving my sins. Please cleanse my heart. Help me to walk in your commands faithfully every day. Please forgive me for my, you know, like Jesus tells us, it's your daily bread, also your trespasses. And, and this is how you should pray. Our Father right in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your will be done, your kingdom come, and earth is in heaven. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Give us our daily bread, right? So that, that whole process, when he's telling you how you should pray, I would definitely apply that to your life in the present. So we've taken care of past sins and present sins. The future, you haven't done them yet. He's not going to hold you on something you haven't done yet. But yes, I know I've heard it preached too, brother. The preachers come up the very slick and very awesome ways. 
that encourage us when they say, hey, when you gave when you gave your heart to God, when you came forward for that altar call and you got on your knees and you said, I'm done with my sin and I want to follow you, Christ. He looked at all the things you did in the future and he forgave those two. It preaches well, right? It sounds wonderful. Is it theologically accurate? No. You haven't done those things yet. <laughs> Is he? Does he know the end from the beginning? Does he know probably what you're going to do in the future anyway? Yes. Did he come into your heart and save you anyway? Yes. But technically, you haven't done those yet. All right? Does he know that you're not going to be perfect before you die? Yes. That's why he still is a free gift of salvation, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should, should be saved. So I'm trying to address this from multiple angles to give you a very well-rounded answer. But the general premise is that he takes care of your sinful nature through his priesthood, through making atonement for you. Some of the, I would, I would strongly encourage taking a sober view of your behavior and your discipleship, knowing that you mess up. Don't be discouraged by it. He knows you're going to mess up too. Walk daily in the prayer that he instructs us, right? That we ask to, for our transgressions to be forgiven and that we have the heart to forgive those who's transgressed against us. So that we walk in that humility and that repentant heart daily, knowing that our sins throughout our mortal life will be covered by our Messiah who's in his priesthood position. They can be covered. That means atoned for. And that promise is that if we endure in that mentality, that heart, that faith in his Messiahship and his priesthood, we endure in that until death, he'll resurrect us to eternal life. That's the promise of the covenant. So that way we understand we're not earning our salvation. We trust him to atone for us when we make mistakes, whether intentional or unintentional. And we are trying to adopt his behavior throughout our life. It's called sanctification. And past, present, and future, we put that trust in him until we die. At the, at the point of death, at the appointed time, he'll resurrect us to eternal life. We get to live in he and his father's house forever with him. So to just blanketly say, yes, he takes your past, present, future sins, leaves a lot of people, unfortunately, theologically bankrupt because they don't know the process of how that happens. So, Richie, I appreciate your question, and I thank you for allowing me to answer it with an in-depth answer that hopefully brings you more clarity to why your Messiah was sent as the Son of God who was sent to become your high priest, because it matters. Oh, you're welcome, Wendy. I appreciate you asking the question. Hey, Miss Catherine's here. Um, hope you're doing well. I apologize, ma'am. I do not know who the two witnesses are personally, but I have done um, a breakdown as far as like, I don't know who they are, but if you want to, if you want a whole video on me talking about the two witnesses, I will show you real quick one that I did here on Kingdom Cast last year. I think it was, can't remember the episode number. Let me find it for you real quick. It was when I was reviewing Matthew chapter 20. Where did it go? Okay, here it is. It's uh, number 61. All right, so it's number 61. Um, I'll talk about the millennial reign and the two witnesses of Revelation. I don't know their actual names. I personally... I don't think it's going to be some someone that's resurrected from the past or some patriarch. It's definitely not Enoch and Elijah. Um, I've gone over that in great detail. We'll make a milk and meat series on kingdom of context. 
I do think it's just going to be people of that day, two people that are chosen of that generation in that day that are going to walk in the office of a prophet like we've seen in old, who have the spirit of God flowing through them to do miraculous signs and wonders on behalf of God. Uh, because why do I think that? Because of what's happening now. Right now, people are calling to mind his instructions from everywhere they're scattered under the heaven. You can't have people walking in the office of a prophet, as we see in Old Testament, in the future, if they're not doing Torah. People all across the world, believers are waking up to what true discipleship is. And that word Torah just means discipleship. It's the Father's instructions for right behavior. People are coming out of the mainstream church setting where all those words have been twisted and the, that discipleship process has been maligned and not very well explained. And they're coming into a more accurate definition of what the Bible describes as right behavior as a disciple of God and Jesus. And that is happening worldwide. That's priming the pump, if you will, for two candidates to do it really well and earn the office of prophet and be chosen by the Father to fulfill what we see in Revelation 11 for the two witnesses. So that's my understanding. And I hope to I go over it in greater depth, greater depth in that channel, or excuse me, in that video. So hopefully you can check that out. All right, so Jesus of the King of Kings is asking, what is the book called in which all sins are recorded? Um, I don't really know, honestly. I mean, I don't know if 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 the, I know it says the books were opened uh, before Yeshua in Revelation 20 when he's about to judge people based off their deeds. So I don't really know if it's considered the book of life and there's multiple books, you know, just like the tree of life is is sometimes spoken of as one tree, but also it's spoken of as many trees that grow along the river of life. So I, I don't know. It, what specifically it's called, if it's just a part of the books of life, you know, where people whose sins are recorded, and then you see the ones that are atoned for through the priesthood of Yeshua. So therefore their sins are blotted out. Um, but I I've, can't remember a verse that actually specifically links the books in heaven that the angels present before the judge, which is Yeshua, to judge people by and for there to be books beyond the book of life that's opened. Um, if there's a specific name to it. So I'm sorry, I don't have a specific answer. SR is asking, will Nimrod's spirit possess the person of the beast? Um, he's probably referring to the beast of Revelation 17. Or is Nimrod coming in physical form? Uh, check out my investigating babylon series here on this channel that you're watching it's uh, episode number seven or part seven in that series where i go over the king of babylon that is talking about nimrod's return and um he will not possess some other person in my understanding he's literally coming back um as an as a nephilim style unclean spirit physically embodied entity um that is he's not just going to possess someone like a like a, a Shadim or an unclean spirit without a body. He's physically coming back. So I go over all that in great detail, but that's the short answer for you. So check out that Investigating Babylon series. The playlist is here on this channel that you're watching, and it's part seven in that series. <laughs> Sorry, Mark Twain. I, I, I'm not going to answer how the Babylon series ends. 
If you haven't already picked up all the clues I've dropped throughout the previous 18 parts, uh, definitely stay tuned. Part 19, 20, and 21 will be, there will be no mincing words. I would absolutely tell you my final conclusion and how it ends. It will not be left as a cliffhanger. It will be absolutely definitive, direct, and you'll see, hopefully, how, why I've structured everything in the previous 18 parts to get to that conclusion from scripture, from history, and from our, our observation in life. So. Jesus, the King of Kings asking, is it okay to go to dinner with atheists? Yes. How are you going to shine that light if you avoid them? Got You got to get in front of them, right? If an atheist asks you to go to a strip club, don't do that. If that's where you're having dinner, I wouldn't do that. But obviously, if you just try to go to Chili's or to Applebee's or something or to your local steakhouse and talk with them to build a relationship with them, they may want to ask you genuine, valid questions. Um, so, yeah, don't, you know. We, we, ha we have to be able to be in a position to let our light shine. That means you have to go around the darkness at some point, right? Something to consider. All right, Yukonon, welcome, brother. Welcome back, I should say. You're asking about, I think it's John chapter 6, where he talks about the hard saying, or maybe John chapter 5, the hard saying of eating his flesh and drinking his blood. What did Yeshua mean? Well, he tells you technically in that passage what he meant, right? He's telling them a, a metaphor of, um, he's the, he also says in that same passage, he's the bread of life. So he's using uh, metaphoric terms or what we would call idiomatic phrases to describe himself and why he was sent, who he is and what's going on. So this is where um, the context is all there. Obviously, he's not endorsing cannibalism. He would have disqualified himself from messiahship, right? He can't. Cannibalism is absolutely against the Father's Torah. Um, you cannot eat the flesh of a man or drink the blood of a man. Like you, you know, that's that's absolutely against Torah in so many different places. Um, so he's not endorsing that at all. This is him explaining to the point of uh, of a. Let me see if I can find it real quick. I think it's in chapter six. Because he just previously called himself the bread of life, I believe, in verses 32 through 38, talking about how he's come down to do heaven. He's come down from heaven to do the will of the Father who sent him. Um, okay, so here in verse 47, I'll share this real quick so everyone can follow along. All right, he says, uh, Truly, truly, I tell you, he who believes has eternal life. He who believes what? Everything he's just been describing to them. That he was sent by the Father to be the Messiah. He's the bread of life come down to the earth. He says, I'm the bread of life. Your fathers ate the man in the wilderness, yet they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that anyone may eat of it and not die. Because why? Yeshua gives them eternal life at the resurrection. That's the point of the Messiah, to be their priest, atone for their sins, have the power to resurrect into eternal life. This is why he was sent. Verse 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Now he's distinguishing between the manna eaten in the wilderness as not living bread, but it's just regular bread. He's talking about I'm the living bread that came down from heaven, okay? If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And this bread, which we're given for the life of the world, is my flesh. Okay, so therefore he's, again, he's expounding to people way before the cross happens about something that makes more sense once the cross happens, right? This is why in Luke and I believe and also in Matthew, there's a few statements that says his disciples didn't understand what he meant at this time. Or even, I think it's in Mark chapter 8, uh, where he's talking about how he's going to be, you know, go to Jerusalem and be crucified and everything. It says his disciples were uh, blinded to understanding what he meant at that time. So just as in 
the John, you know, part of finding context is look at the author and what they're, the style of writing they're using in their, in their, um, in their book. So in John chapter one, we have John saying that he is the word of God sent down to heaven. So is he a person or is he just the spoken words of God? And I know certain forms of, um, messianic trinitarianism would like to would like to say no he actually is just the spoken vibrations of god who became in the flesh and that he didn't exist before he came in the flesh and that's also contradicted by yeshua's own words he did exist with the father as an as a bodily entity in heaven with a spiritual body just like the father and the angels have before he was manifested in the flesh and made that transition to being born of a woman so just like john previously explains with metaphor with an idiomatic inference to qualities of other concepts that can be relatably compared to Yeshua's mission. Same thing right here. Okay. Yeshua's mission was to come down and provide resurrection for all of Israel. He does that through a process and explaining that process in very short terms. He's using the concept comparing the ancient Israelites eating manna in the wilderness to the modern day disciples trusting and eating of his words and his purpose and who he is. And it, it, part of that being he was going to be crucified down on the cross. He gave over his flesh in, in submission and service to God's will so that he can get to his priesthood and give them eternal life. So that's why it says in verse 47, if you believe you get eternal life, the whole thing is based off the context is the resurrection. Him fulfilling what he was sent to do to get to his priesthood, to have the authority to resurrect you, is the inferences of the metaphors within built into this that he's referencing back to the Old Testament. In fact, the reason why people struggle so much with this particular passage is because Paul could have written it because it's that type of writing. It's that type of understanding of you have to know the Torah really well to know what the Messiah was meant to do because he's about to reference the purpose of the Messiah, which is to come get the priesthood and give you eternal life with an old Old Testament reference back to the Israelites in the in a wilderness, Exodus 16, eating that manna, because they had to do that in trust and belief as a part of their discipleship. And if you don't understand the Old Testament with this passage, Yeshua's, what he's inferring is just going to fly right over your head, right? Just like with Paul's writings, if you don't understand the Old Testament, these very, these huge, deep metaphors depend on you on having a working, strong, working familiarity with the Old Testament. Okay. So that's why, as you just break down the short little passage, that's why he's using this metaphor of um, his flesh is this living bread that you must partake in, right? His flesh is an idiomatic phrase referring to his obedience. So if you don't partake, if you don't believe who he is, which is the person that's come to, to get the, the ultimate priesthood authority to give you eternal life, well, then you're not going to get eternal life. And if you don't partake in his flesh, which is the same self-denying obedience that he exemplified for the reason the father sent him, right? He was perfectly obedient to death. But if you don't also partake in that discipleship process of denying yourself, laying down your life, picking up your cross, doing as he did in obedience, right? In whatever that means in your life, as far as rejecting sin, you know, resisting evil and submitting yourself to God, like James 4, 7 explains. If you don't also go through that discipleship and sanctification process, then you also are not engaging in the living bread and partaking in his flesh, right? It's, these are metaphoric terms that are being used here. So that's why he, he continues with the metaphor. Truly, should I tell you, unless you eat the flesh and drink the blood of the Son of Man, you have no life in you. 
whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. I'll raise him up on the last day. Now he's just directly making it back to the covenant promise of the resurrection for Israel. For my flesh is real food. My blood is real drink. Right. So a lot of people are thinking, well, wait, you know, it's I thought I thought he was they're saying like, clearly he's not preaching cannibalism. You cannot preach cannibalism. All right. So the, the disciples that followed him and this is said, this is a hard teaching and many disciples turned back. Who can accept it? It's this difficult teaching. Who can accept it? So they grumbled about his teaching. And he goes on to explain to them that, you know, this is why some of them did not believe that would betray him. Right. So some of them left. And we also see, um, says that time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. This, in my understanding, chronologically would be after Matthew chapter 10 and Luke chapter 10, where he sent out 72 disciples. So at this point in John chapter six, he gives them this teaching and, and those 60 of those 72 either had had um, unstable faith to begin with or didn't know enough of the law and the prophets to actually get the metaphor of why he references the manna eaten by the Israelites in the Old Testament. In comparison with what he's talking about, the discipleship that leads to your eternal life in this in this process of what he's talking about. OK, so this is why many of them turn back and he also explained to them. So I told you no one to come to me unless the Father has granted it to him. So he's telling, he's basically saying, you know, these these guys weren't trying to come to me anyway. Truthfully, their hearts weren't right. The Father hadn't granted them the ability to even come with me, come to me. Because remember, guys, what's going on in this surrounding context of Yeshua's life at this point in his ministry when he's saying this? He had already been to all the towns of Samaria and healed a whole bunch of people and gained a huge following. And then he sent out his disciples after he trained them up and trusted them to send them out to go do uh, preach the gospel of the kingdom and heal people in the towns of Samaria as well. And they did. And they took authority over demons and they healed the leper and they cleansed people and they did amazing stuff. He caused an incredible stir in that area. So, yes, you're going to have people that are following him that are just tagging along because, hey, man, this is this new rabbi is amazing. He's doing incredible stuff. He's a prophet of the Lord. I'm just going to go follow him. That doesn't mean they're truly trying to disciple and change their behavior. It's a great question, brother. There's a lot to consider in this. This is why so many people stumble on this verse um, because they don't understand. And I'm not saying you don't, and you could just be relaying this question from somebody else. But many people stumble on this question and many anti-missionaries will take this passage that we read, John 6, and they'll say, see, Yeshua is teaching cannibalism. He disqualifies himself from being the Messiah because he's teaching against Torah. No, he's given an example of a metaphoric description of discipleship based off a real event that happened to the ancient Israelites who ate the manna in the wilderness. So hopefully that's a decent answer for you. Guys, I'm going to just take one more. I'm, uh, I've been doing a lot of talking, so I'm running out of words and voice. So I'm going to try to say goodnight here. Maybe I'll just take one more question. Um, no, no, my father's not single. I'm sorry. He's been happily married for over 25 years. Um, 
Let me see. I think I saw another question up here that I may have missed. Um, SR, the two witnesses, according to Matthew, Revelation 11, will absolutely be in Jerusalem. And it's uh tells you in the passage, it, it metaphorically is called Sodom and Egypt, but it is the city of Jerusalem, in my understanding. Because of the other events that happen on that day as well. So there's some fun context to that. But yeah, I, I believe and understand it to be Jerusalem. All right, guys, this will be our last question. Jesus, the King of Kings, is asking, what about so-called women pastors? Um, there in the Bible, we have the example of women judges, women teachers, women prophets or prophetesses. As far as the modern-day role of a pastor and what that is, according to you know the, the structure of the community of believers today, that's a position usually of ultimate leadership. Yes, the word pastor just means someone that serves. Um, serves in teaching the word and a woman teacher is that, but a pastor usually teaches and serves as a position of leadership and doctrine over both male and female genders. In Titus chapter one, Paul is instructing women who teach other women to be of sound doctrine and not drink too much wine. So just as someone that was a judge of Israel who sat at the gates among the other judges could also be a woman as well because they're administering Torah in a, an administrative uh, judicial capacity as far as judging disputes among the peoples. And that could be a prophetess or a judge of the people, just like we see that Miriam, sister of Moses and Aaron, was also called a prophetess. And I think Numbers chapter 11, um, she would have been in res responsible to teach other women under her, but she doesn't have authority over the men or the elder or the 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 leading men of the society. So as Hebrews chapter five expounds and with, with wonderful succinct to tell, you know, fa the father is over Yeshua, just like Yeshua is over the church, just like the man is head over the woman. So there is a hierarchy of authority within the body of believers. And while a woman can have be completely intelligent and completely capable from hearing from God and walking in righteous behavior in her discipleship. And she can she can be a judge amongst disputes between people. She can be a teacher of other women, and she can even be a prophetess of the Lord, but she cannot have a position over other men in the body of believers. Hopefully that's a decent answer for you. Okay, guys, I appreciate everybody uh, with your questions. There's a lot of good questions tonight. I haven't had a chance to do a Q&A in a while. I wanted to, to get to one. Um, so I really appreciate you guys interacting, bringing the questions, bringing the heat. There's some good ones tonight, some that I haven't seen before. All right. Okay. Um, as always, guys, thank you so much. If you like what we do, yeah, if you want to bless us, it's in the it's in the video description below. Both in we do Patreon, PayPal, or even PO Box for people uh, that want to send you know old school gifts. You're welcome to do that. Um, and you know, just just uh, we've got some fun things we're working on, and I'm I'm super excited about it to tell you about it here in a couple of months. And I think that you guys are gonna be excited. Lighthouse is still coming. Yes, for people that are asking, Lighthouse is still coming. Uh, they're they have uh, they're still getting things prepared, and they're not 
they're not rushing it, right? So what they were, how do I say this? A year ago, they were rushing it. They were trying to rush to market for a lot of reasons. Those reasons changed and they had to change server systems as I talked about before, moving away from AWS, which is a huge process. It takes time. Um, they didn't want to have to make that change, but they had to. And so there's a, I just want to encourage you guys. There's some other obstacles that have come up in their way that they're overcoming as well, but they are overcoming them. The father is still working in that, that project. So just pray for them if nothing else, but dear along the way, they've decided not to rush anymore. And so now they're, they're getting some other little benefits and tweaks and things made within this, the development of the system so that when it does launch, they are going to be a true competitor. So it's there. Yeah, it's still coming. Better is still coming. Be encouraged guys. But uh, we have other things we're working on um, that I just want to encourage you guys um, that I would love to share with you in the future. And I think it's going to bless the community and um, just want to tease it right now. But uh, we'll, may the Lord continue to to work in that, and so we can have an incredible report for you here a few months from now. But other than that, guys, um, I will. We got tomorrow night milk and meat on our main channel, Kingdom Context. Um, it's kind of starting a new like mini series, if you will, about uh, different forms of bad doctrine that we see throughout the New Testament that the Yeshua and the um, apostles had to address during their day in the first century AD. And then um, obviously tour portions on Saturday morning. So be sure to be a part of that and uh, appreciate you guys. So I hope you guys have a good day of rest and we'll see you tomorrow.